0: hey well good morning everybody we are in this series called x multiply let's just say this together x multiply and just looking at what it would look like to have a 10-year vision for our life as well as for the life of our church and today we're going to talk a little bit about gospel conversations what's really really important to understand from the top of the, uh, the service uh, top of the message today is that you know, Christianity has always been word of mouth marketing amen somebody Right? It's always been life on life. It's always been friend to friend. It's always been one person inviting another person, inviting another person. You see it happen early on. Jesus invites a guy named Andrew. Andrew goes and gets his brothers, Peter and some other friends, and comes, and one after another, they begin to follow Jesus. You heard it in Allie's story today. Someone invited her, and what happens? Her life gets challenged. Her life gets wrecked in the best way. She gets baptized, right? This is the movement. This is the lifeblood of, of the movement of Christianity. Now, now a couple of different um, studies were done. I want to talk a little bit about how, how receptive are people to the gospel as well as how eager are Christians to share the gospel. So on this idea of how receptive people are to the gospel, have you ever heard this phrase? Maybe you've heard this phrase, um, um, man, they, they will never darken the doors of a church. You heard that phrase before about people? Anybody heard that phrase? Right. That phrase is just absolutely not true. Okay. Like there's uh, studies done that show that 82% of people, 82% of people, if invited to church would actually attend. 82% like 82% of people that's a that's like that's a B and that's pretty good for some of us in the room right i mean 82% of people listen are there some people that would say no yes some people would also say no if you wanted to take them to applebees for dinner all right like some people are just no people and so people are receptive to, to hearing the gospel. They're not necessarily receptive to a lot of the um, uh, collateral that can go along with church services sometimes, but they are receptive. Now, now on the other side of that, in 1993, Varna did a study that showed that 84% of people realized, Christians realized that it was a responsibility of theirs to share the gospel. Like this is the lifeblood of Christianity. This past year, they commissioned another study to be done and that number dropped from 89% was the number in 1993. It dropped to 65%. 65% of Christians think it's their responsibility to actually share their faith. A 35% drop. Now, this would explain why we've seen so much deterioration of faith. I believe it probably is the number one leading indicator of why we've seen faith begin to dwindle in our country is because of this lack of of sharing faith. But but it's hard, isn't it, right? Sometimes it feels awkward. You you may not know what to say. You know, you could be at a restaurant, and you're like, would you like some bread? Well, I have the bread of life. (laughs) Like... (laughs) Don't do that, okay? <laughs> Don't do that. Um, however, that, man, what if we were able to look at it just a little bit differently? Uh, so, so to do that, let me just jump into a quick story. Uh, when I first went into ministry, I was in my mid-20s, I uh, had a job, I worked in an insurance company, felt like Lord was calling us into ministry, so we quit our job and moved to seminary. And I just wanted to be on the front lines, man. Put me somewhere I can just share the gospel. So I took a job uh, going door-to-door, doing door-to-door evangelism. Right, door-to-door, door in downtown Dallas, Texas. Yeah, I know. They are crazy over there. And so I, uh, I'm going door-to-door. Door. Man, sometimes they may answer with a gun and that's not even a joke. Um, I mean, I'd pull mine out if they did that, right? Uh, that's a joke. Um, you know, sometimes they may be a little hostile. Most of the time they weren't. I can remember one time I walked on the front line and I had made the mistake of wearing a white polo, you know? And they thought I was a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness and they she was like, get off my yard. I'm like, yes, ma'am. Um, and so I would begin, but, but the way that we learned to share the gospel was through these two questions. And, and one of the questions was this, if you were to die today, would you get to heaven? Like that's a great relational starting question, by the way, just try that on a stranger. If you were to die today, would you get into heaven? Now, the second question we would ask following that one was if, if you were to stand before God and he would ask you, why should I let you in to my heaven? What would you say? And most people would say something around this idea of being a good person. But in that approach, even though there's a lot that I learned, it, it, it shows an inadequate understanding of exactly what we're supposed to be doing. Because what we're doing with that approach is we're inviting someone just to be able to sneak into heaven when they die. Like if we can just endure this life, and as a reward for enduring and trying to do some good works, if we can just get even in the back row of heaven, that will be success for us. And that is what Dallas Wooler would call a gospel of sin management. A gospel of sin management. Let me see if I can get my act together. Let me see if I can get cleaned up just a little bit and then God will accept me. And what if I could just paint a bigger picture for you this morning? That there's so much more to what we call the gospel today. Like looking at the gospel as just sin management it would be a little bit like me inviting you to a seven-course meal. And we, you, we, we could sit down and we'd start with hors d'oeuvres and then salad, then soup, then appetizers, then the main course, then we'd have dessert, and then we'd have an after-dinner cordial. And at the end of that dinner, you're like, huh, I wonder how many, wonder how many carbs was in that meal, right? It would just be short-sighted on what we just experienced, And so today, a couple things I want to do. Number one, I just want to paint a really larger picture of the gospel. I want you to see yourself in the larger story of the gospel today. And maybe you're here today and you've heard a little bit about Jesus. You know a little bit about him. And it seems like it's a lot about the rules and me trying to be a good person. And I just want to tell you, there's just so much more to it than that. Second thing I want to talk about is like, how do I share my story Uh, In in light of the gospel story, how do I share my gospel story? And at the end, what I'm doing is I'm going to close with just some practical tips on exactly the best way to go about doing that. And door-to-door may not be it. Let me just go ahead and forewarn you on that. So I did that for all of us in the room. So uh, Mark chapter 1, as Steve read just a minute ago, Mark chapter 1, verse 14 we see Jesus kind of start, starting his ministry. Jesus has been baptized. Jesus has been in the wilderness where he was challenged, and he learned some things, right? We see that, and now he's starting his ministry, and this is what he says. He says, after John was arrested, John was John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus. Says he says, Jesus came to Galilee, and he proclaimed the gospel of God. Okay, so he's proclaiming this message, the gospel of God. So we need to understand exactly what Jesus is talking about right there. He said, The time is fulfilled. Now, when you see this word in the Bible, there's two different ways you'll see it. Number one is the word chronos, and number two is the word kairos. Let's all say kairos together. Kairos. And kairos is like time from God's perspective, it's like a moment in time when things change. And so Jesus is saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And so I'm just going to paint a picture of kind of what this looks like. It, it, the word gospel literally means good news. Okay, so it means good news. Has anyone ever come to you and they said, I've got some bad news and I've got some good news. Which one do you want first? Always the bad news first, right? You got to go bad news first because you just want some good news to lift you up out of the bad news. And we face a lot of bad news. I mean, if you just read the newspaper, you see bad news. Like maybe, you know, you're following the government's going to shut down or, you know, there's another war in Ukraine or the Americans lost the Ryder Cup. I don't know. Like there's, there's bad news out there. And sometimes it's like, hey, there's bad news and there's good news. But what Jesus is saying here, hey, there's some good news and there's some good news, right? There is no bad news. There is good news that's coming for us. And, and there's, what Jesus does when he uses this word gospel, it's, it's the the Greek word, it's euangelion, euangelion. Now I hesitate to go this deep in this, but if you'll just follow me here, it's going to be so beautiful. So that word was used generally by the head of the Roman Empire, the Caesar of the time. He would use it, he would issue a decree or a press release that was a euangelion he would he would uh, release some good news and usually it was around the birth of the next Caesar the next king and so we have one of those that was recovered and it's from 9 BC so it was just in Jesus time so when Jesus is using this word he's actually tracking back to the to the uh, good news press release that had been released about 10 years earlier before his birth and this is what it said I says, and, I, and again, I know this is a little long and tedious, but you guys are really smart, okay? So follow with me. Since providence, and that's how they would have referred to God, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life. So he's saying, "Providence is in charge. Everything's ordered. He's taking care of us. He has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus. So Augustus has just been born. This is the euangelion. This is the gospel, the good news that Augustus has just been born. It says, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind. So he's been born to help humanity, sending him as a savior. That sound familiar? Christmas story, book of, Ma- uh, excuse me, book of Luke. When the angels showed up to proclaim good news, a Savior has been born, both for us and our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. In other words, end war and bring peace. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, has surpassed all previous benefactors, so he's saying that everybody that has come before this Caesar, he is better than everybody that's come before. And Then he goes on to say, not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done. So he's saying everybody that comes after him is going to be less than him. Like nobody will be greater than this Caesar. And since the birthday of the God Augustus was the beginning of the good tidings or what? Good news, euangelion, for the world that came by reason of him. From his birth, a new reckoning of time must begin. So time has to start over. So when Jesus uses this word in their minds, this is the message that they would have been hearing. That there had just been someone, a son of God, who had been born to be the new Caesar to bring peace and to get rid of war. And they would have known they're stepping into a different story. And Jesus comes to claim this title in the middle of this hotbed of political turmoil that's happening in the nation of Rome. Listen, this is a lot more than heaven as a reward for making it through life. This has a lot of implications. We are stepping into a new story. Listen, you're stepping into a new story. We all all tell ourselves a story. We all live in a certain story. So just by way of example, little orphan Annie, she lived in a story, right? The sun will come out to win? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. What about the little engine that could? What about the little engine that could? You know the story? I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. Right, we all, we all live in a story. Listen, there's more to your story than meets the eye. There's more to your story than you know about. There's more than you realize on a daily basis. C.S. Lewis said this. C.S. Lewis, obviously a great writer. He said this, If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. We were made for a bigger story. Listen, there's more to your life today than meets the eye. It is called the story of of the gospel and it's the story of the gospel there is more to your story like what story do you tell yourself every time you miss a turn make a mistake like what's that story golly i'm just so stupid if you, if you, you ever tell yourself this story this always happens to me does it does it always happen to you if it can go wrong it will go wrong we've all heard of murphy's law Hey, and we fill our mind with this story that is so small and it's not the gospel story. What we see Jesus inviting us in this announcement of the gospel is to step into a story that is cosmic in nature and restorative in purpose. We cannot miss out on the story that we get to walk in. What story are you currently telling yourself? What's that self-talk? When you get up in the morning, what's that first thought that runs through mind When you drive somewhere in the car... Like even now, like what are the words? Is that really the story of the gospel? It says this is, this is the kingdom of God is at hand. This is the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. Now, Now, we don't always get kings and kingdoms because the United States was actually founded on the reality we didn't want a king. If you remember American history, they had a king. We don't want no king. We're leaving. And so people show up here to rebel against having a king. And so we don't always understand exactly what goes into having a king. But, man, kings are in charge, and kings get what they want. That's what we need to know about the king. And Jesus is summarizing the whole biblical story when he says the kingdom of God is at hand. Because throughout the Bible, from the beginning of a creation up until Jesus comes and up until the end of time, right, it is about the king and it is about the kingdom. and It happens and we see it flowing throughout the entire Bible. This is how we exercise. He, he's come to exercise absolute dominion over everything. We have a kingdom. It's so much more than just getting into heaven when we die. I, mean, I want to just point out a couple of places in the Bible where this comes up and where we see the, the gospel actually happen. In Genesis chapter 1, Verse 1, this is where we see everything get started. It says in verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So here we th- see things beginning. There is a God who is a creator. That There is a God who is in charge. There is a God who put this thing in motion. There is a God who is paying attention. And then we move over in, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So here you see God creates humans. And what does he say? He says, God said, I've given you every plant yielding what is on the face of the earth and every tree with its seed and its fruit. You will have them for food. And he has given us what dominion? Well, he's given us this ability to bring order to the world. That's our role in life. We're to partner with God in bringing order to what? His kingdom. His kingdom. And then we know that there's a problem, don't we? As we go over into the Genesis chapter 3, we see the, well, what's called the fall of man. We see the fall happen. And Satan, as a snake, sneaks up to Eve and says, hey, did God say you couldn't eat of that tree because God had told him you can't have any fruit of the tree um, of good and evil? How many of you guys see that fruit as an apple? Anybody see that fruit as an apple? Right? So when you see an apple with a bite taken out of it, you know that's straight from hell. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Jokes. I have one of those. Actually, uh, I pray against it every day. But So we know that there's this temptation that happens. Satan tempts Eve, and it says in verse 6, it says that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit, she ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And so here in this moment, we see the fall. We see God establishes his kingdom. We see shortly after that this kingdom falls because they tried to make something that was not God, God themselves. And then we see that God gives provision, even in the first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 it says this God is speaking and he's speaking to Satan he says I will put enmity between you and the woman enmity just means hostility so there'll be hostility there'll be a barrier and between your offspring and her offspring meaning that he's going to send someone that's going to come in human form speaking of Jesus specifically right here in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 he will bruise your head which anytime you bruise someone's heads that's a death blow so he's predicting Jesus' Ultimate victory is the King of glory. Come on, somebody. And then it says, You shall bruise his heel. Yes, he's going to be bruised. Yes, he's going to die, but he's not going to stay dead. He's going to raise from the dead. So, right here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, we see Jesus prophesied, foreshadowed. Now, why is that important? If you don't understand Genesis 1 to 3, you'll misunderstand most of what happens in life. If you don't understand Genesis 1 through 3, listen, you'll misunderstand marriage you'll misunderstand tragedy, you'll misunderstand sorrow, you'll misunderstand sexuality, you will misunderstand gender, you will misunderstand family, you will misunderstand most of what happens in your life until you understand that the gospel starts in Genesis chapter 1 through, and then all, all the way through chapter 3. And God steps into the brokenness of our life to restore the beauty of his creation. This is the story of the gospel. Man, he just came in an ordinary way. So he could show up in the ordinary places of our lives. If you have a small God, you will live a very small story. If God's not the center, you will have a very small story. His handprint is on everything. So many times what we want to do, we just want to kind of leave him in the, in the nativity scene. We'll pull him out when we need him. But, but Jesus is not in, he's not in the nativity scene anymore, is he? He's not six pounds, eight ounce baby Jesus anymore. Man, he is the king of glory. He is the captain of what's called angel armies. And every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's called the king of kings. He's gonna come back one day and establish his full kingdom when he comes back at the end of time and he will be on the throne and we will all recognize it but we do know that he has come to establish his kingdom in your life today this is the story this is the story that we get to live into it's the story of the gospel his handprint is on everything now Jesus says this he says repent and believe the gospel right repent and believe the gospel people love to talk about repentance have you noticed that No, I'm joking, right? That's not true. (laughs) Nobody wants to talk about it, man. And and I think it's because we misunderstand the invitation that repentance is. So many times we reduce it to childlike apology. Like maybe some of you parents remember this or your parents did it to you. You do something wrong and you walk up and, you know, maybe you hit your sister. I would never have done that. But maybe you hit your sister and it's like, what do you say to your sister? I'm sorry. And, you know, you just kind of really weren't sorry. You actually kind of enjoyed it if you're just being honest. Just kidding, Um, but we just have this childlike apologies if that's what repentance is, and 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 repentance is so much wildly different than just saying I'm sorry. Repentance is literally changing your mind, is what the Bible says. So if we thought about it like this, it's a change of heart. It's a change of heart. It's more than just saying, I'm sorry. It's a change of heart that we're doing one thing, believing one thing, going one direction, and we completely change and go a wildly different direction. That is what Jesus means when he says, repent and believe. And so we repent from self-centered behavior to king-centered behavior. And that's what it means to change your mind or have a change of heart. Christianity is not an anything goes belief system. Things change in your life. You heard it in the stories of the people that got baptized. God is always in the business of changing things. There's always opportunities we have to think differently. Man, you think differently about marriage when you begin to follow Jesus. You think differently about money. You think differently about your job. You think differently about parenting. As a matter of fact, parenting is probably what drove you to want to think about following Jesus, if we're being honest. We think differently. We repent and what? Believe. Repent and believe. We change our mind. Let me ask you, where do you need a change of heart today? Like what belief are you following? What addiction are you hanging on to? Like what, what, where do you need to repent? It is the kindness of God, it says, that leads us to repentance. Because this is what gets us a new heart. This is the entry into the kingdom, entry into the gospel. Then he says this, believe, repent and believe. Faith faith is the connection channel to the gospel. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Like you're already starting out behind without faith. Because those who believe in him, they have to believe that he exists and rewards those who diligently seek him. And so what faith is, is this, this believing that God is good. Even in the midst of dark times, even in the midst of mourning and tragedy and misunderstanding and confusion, in the midst of things that happened that we wish wouldn't have happened or that we can't explain or understand, it's just hanging on to this reality, man, that there is a God and he is good. This is the first sin. When Eve sinned, she basically was saying, I don't think God's going to take care of me. I don't think you have my best interest in mind. I think you're holding out on me. And so she walks away. Faith is just this trust that God is good. Sometimes we think that we just have to manufacture this belief in our hearts. I don't know, how many of you guys remember Polar Express? It was your favorite Christmas movie. Anybody in the house? Come on. Now, there's that one scene in Polar Express that you may remember where, man, you, you got to be able to hear the bell. And if you can't hear the bell, then you, you've completely lost Christmas. And so the little boy who has no name is uh, has this, I'm not bitter, has this, bell that just came off the reindeer sleigh and he's shaking it and he can't hear it and he's just saying I believe I believe I believe and we think that that's what faith in God is it's just this ability for us to be able to get our mind and to think of something so much and so hard that eventually we'll cross over but what Jesus is talking about is simply just trust and it's just trusting God, trusting that the good news of the kingdom of God will come soon, that God is in charge and that God is a good king, that we need to trust him. And we tend to trust him with part of our lives, but not all of our lives. Have you noticed this? Like we all have an area of our life like, eh, I think I'll hang on to that one. And for you, you, you probably know what that area is. Number one in our culture specifically is generally money. We tend to trust money more than anything Because money does give us some independence. Money helps us to build our own what? Kingdom. We may trust in a relationship. We may trust in a job. We may trust in our health. But the only thing that's an anchor for our soul is our king. It's Jesus. So we need to learn to trust in what he has for us. Covers every area of our life. Like what area of your life do you need to really believe the gospel? What area does it need to step into and transform and change? What fear does it need to eradicate? What anxiety does it need to move out of the way? What depression does it need to lift up? Like what area of your life do you need to believe the gospel today? We will always be a gospel-centered church, right? You guys know it. You know why? Because it changes your life. It's the hope that we have to share with people. It covers everything that we have. It keeps us from getting caught up in tangential issues. And we just focus on the gospel. It doesn't mean that other things don't matter. But it does mean we keep the main thing the main thing. Amen, somebody? Now, because it covers everything, when you have good news, what do you do? You share it. And you tell people about it. We, we love to share things. We love to share things. If you have a great restaurant you want to tell somebody about it, I was talking to a friend of mine who was going on vacation to somewhere I'd been. I'm like, you got to go to this place. He's like, I, we weren't planning on it. I'm like, change your calendar. You cannot miss it. Man, we, tell, we share good things. You know, you get engaged, you're calling somebody. Look right here. You're posting it on Instagram. Man, we are sharing things that is good news. We're good at that, and we should. We should share things that is good news. And so this is why we have to share, man. Why share the gospel? Now, in Romans chapter 1, Paul writes this. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now, now if we're honest, we get lots of reasons to be ashamed of the gospel these days, don't we? Man, we are ridiculed. uh, We we are demonized, right? Right? call small-minded, narrow-minded. There's, there's a lot of reasons why we wouldn't be ashamed. Paul's like, he, he's been through everything, and he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, then to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Hey, the gospel is the power of God for salvation. The gospel is the power of God of God for life change. It's everything that we've been looking for. Think about this as an example. If we just just relegate the gospel to just forgiveness of sins, which is massive, by the way. I don't want to minimize the forgiveness of sins in any shape, form, or fashion. But if that's all that there is, it is limited because here's what would happen. If all it is is forgiveness of sins, your slate's going to get wiped clean. And then you got to just figure it out on your own. You got to go and be good, you got to prove yourself, you got to achieve. You just got to keep moving on. You will just feel empty and like you're just st- always starting over every single day and not knowing if you ever measure up. It reminds me it reminds me of this movie, The Shawshank Redemption, any Shawshank fans in the house? Like I was going to say it was on last night because it was, but isn't, it, isn't every show on all the time now, every day, because of streaming? Uh, it's always on, so you can always feel free. To. Shawshank was on, yeah, because I watched it on Netflix. Shawshank, Redemption, <clears throat> love that movie. A lot of gospel ties in there, of course, I would see that. But there's uh, one of the characters named Brooks. Brooks, the little old man, you remember Brooks? And Brooks, after decades in jail, gets out. And you would think he would be so happy and relieved, but he's not. As a matter of fact, Brooks says this. He says, I have trouble sleeping at night. This is after he's out of prison. I have trouble sleeping at night. I have bad dreams like I'm falling and I wake up scared. Sometimes it takes me a while to figure out where I am. Like that was what it would feel like just to be forgiven and then turned out on your own. Even Red struggles when he gets out of jail. Man, he struggles having permission to do anything when he's in the grocery store or where he can go. He even struggles. struggles. And some of us, that's how we live. We're like, okay, I'm forgiven. I don't have to feel guilty or ashamed anymore, but what do I have to do? man? how do I have to live? How hard do I have to work? What do I have to make amends for? And the gospel is the power of God for salvation. You don't have to do anything. God did it all. And it's not just a concept or a philosophy. It is power in verbal form. Listen, when we share it, the power is unleashed. When we share the gospel, the power is unleashed. I don't know, for some of you, maybe you've had that experience like, hmm, man, I just don't know if I got it right. I, I wanna say something, but I don't know what to say. And what if I say the wrong words? i like, is that gonna happen and I, I have bad implications? No, it won't. It's not about the right words, is it? Some of you have experienced that. <clears throat> Reminds me of a story. A guy named Ron Jensen was an evangelist. Uh, and he was very proficient, especially at one-on-one relational evangelism. It felt like he could just sit down at a table with a random stranger, build a bridge, and then lead them to Christ, you know. But he was walking through the streets of Seattle one day, and he noticed this teenager. And this teenager was handing out gospel tracts. you ever seen a gospel tract you know, it's a little pamphlet, a little brochure, has the four spiritual laws in it or something like that. You guys are familiar with this, some of you are. Like some of you, like this happened to me when I used to wait tables, someone would give me a gospel track, it looked like the $20 bill and they would put it on the table. And when I came, I'm like, a 20? Oh no, it's just tell me about Jesus, I'd throw it away, you know? But don't ever do that by the way. Um, but gospel tracts, just a little pamphlet. And this kid was out handing out these pamphlets. And so Ron felt a little bad for him because he realized this is just not the most effective use of his time and the most effective form of evangelism because that would just be life on life, having a conversation with somebody. So he goes up and he just begins to say, hey, I see that you're handing out these tracts. And man, if I could just tell you a little bit about what it means to have relational evangelism, to sit across the table from people. And then when he finished talking, the kid says to him, "Uh, I just love Jesus because he had a speech impediment. He couldn't talk. And he knew of no other way than just at least I could just hand out some things, right? Tell somebody about it. And I just want you to know, sometimes you may feel like you get it wrong. Sometimes you may feel like you missed the moment or said the wrong thing. Can I just tell you the power? It's not in your ability to persuade people. The power is in the gospel. That is where the power is. And and what would it look like for you to just be able to share what God has done in your life, the change that has happened, the transformation that you've seen talked about with someone? It's not that complicated, but we make it so complicated and awkward. And Satan, Satan helps us out in that as well by making it awkward and complicated. Why share the gospel? It is the power of God for salvation. It's also how the movement grows. It's also how the movement grows. One person tells another person, tells another person, tells another person, and it's with words, right? It's with words. This is how the gospel grows. It grows with words. Rodney Stark wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity, and it's a fascinating study about how the movement grew from you know the first three followers to 12 to 172 to a few hundred to half the known world in just a generation and he says this the primary means of its growth was through the united and motivated efforts of the growing number of christian believers who invited their friends relatives and neighbors to share the good news eventually what the gospel is it is sharing the message it is sharing some words over in Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, Paul's writing about, the, again, the power of the gospel. And he says this He says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Oh, that seems pretty straightforward. How, though, he says, will they call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? That literally I means just proclaiming, just telling. Someone telling them. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of of those who preach the good news eventually it happens in words there was this quote that uh is attributed to Saint Francis of Assisi now Francis was a he's a baller as we like to say he grew up rich man could have gone in the family business gave it all up to live in poverty and, and wrote a lot and um he's attributed to saying that preach the gospel at all times if necessary use words maybe some of you've heard this quote but see if you know kind of get the idea preach the gospel at all times if necessary use words two problems with that number one he never said it and number two it's not true okay he he said something more like hey your words should match your actions and then someone adopted that you have to use words to tell the gospel come on somebody like it takes words to share it with somebody it necessarily means us speaking up to talk to someone about exactly what is happening and what has happened in their life and it's not always just about good works Now, we need to do good works. We need to be known more for our good works. But there's this quote that I love. I can't remember where it came from. I'm sure I made it up. Just kidding. Good works will help people. Only good news will save people. Hey, listen to this. Good works, they'll help people. We should be known for good works. We should be the first one that people call when they need help. But guess what? It's words that will save them. It's not our good works. You're not going to be fixing a sandwich for someone who's hungry, and they're going to come to know Jesus unless you tell them who he is and tell them the gospel we have to use our words sometimes that involves in something as simple as inviting people to church sometimes it's going to involve telling our story of what god has done there's a a great lineage um kind of an example of this in history there's a guy named edward kimball now kimball was a sunday school teacher and he almost gave up because he had a rowdy group of teenagers in his sunday school class any of you guys remember sunday school y'all remember what sunday school was um what what Sunday school was was school that was on Sunday so it's terrible. Um now Sunday school was what you would go to. We went to it as adults too, but it was just kind of this class that you went to and so he taught this class on Sunday mornings for these teenage kids and he almost gave up because it just was too difficult and they were so rowdy. It reminds me of a guy um that taught me 6th grade Sunday school. His name was Frank Vaught I can't wait to tell him thank you um, when I see him again. But Kimball, just so devastated about the impact he was having. He goes to the place where one of his teenagers was working. It was a shoe. um, It was, he was, they were selling, he was selling shoes. And he just shares the gospel with him. And that kid follows Christ on the spot at the shoe store. His name was D.L. Moody. Moody, after he led the Jesus, has a conversation with another guy. This guy's name was Wilbur Chapman. Chapman He comes to Christ because of Moody's testimony, because Moody shared his story with him. He preaches to thousands of people. At one point, he was preaching in a city, and there was a baseball player named Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday had a day off, and so he spent the day going to one of these uh, evangelistic meetings. He gives his life to Christ. He's converted. He quits playing baseball. He has a conversation with a guy named Mordecai Ham. Terrible name, Mordecai Ham. So sorry, I'll get judged for that. Mordecai Ham. Man, this guy was really smart, highly trained. He was an academic. He was gifted and he would drive a hearse through the city streets to invite people to come to his meeting. And so a group of teenagers decided, we're going to go to the meeting and disrupt that because it's so crazy. And so this group of teenagers makes plans and they're in North Carolina and they go to the meeting. And then there was a friend of theirs who didn't want to be involved with the group, but he wants to go and just see the shenanigans as they go down. This guy's name was Billy Frank. And because of Mordecai Ham, Billy Frank gives his life to Christ. And who is that? But Billy Graham right? And you can just see the, the legacy of one guy who was a Sunday school teacher who went to a shoe store to tell this teenager about Christ. And this is the power of the gospel as it moves forward. This is how the gospel, this is how the movement goes. It is the lifeblood of what it means to follow Jesus. And so we have to know what it looks like for us to share, just to share our story the last couple things I want to do I'm going to give you a couple of action items and I just want to share the gospel using my story and how I recently um, was able to actually share the gospel Um, now the first thing that you should pray for to in order to share your faith man it's not that you just get the words right man it's not that you would know everything it's not that you would even meet the right people man you should just pray for boldness you should just pray for boldness because it, it takes some boldness to share the gospel. If you want to be a person with boldness, it's going to take some boldness. This is what the early church prayed regularly. We, we talked a little bit about it last week in the book of Acts. Um, Peter is thrown in prison, and they finally get him out of prison. Why were they, and then they, they're in prison under trial, and it says that the religious authorities, it says they saw the boldness of Peter and John perceived they were uneducated men. So they had this boldness. But then it goes on later on after they get out of jail in verse 29. It says, Lord, look upon their threats. Grant to your servants to get us out of prison. Oh, no, that's not what it says. To speak your word with all boldness. Man, that'll just change how you see people. That, that'll change. If you just get up every morning and in your morning watch, like, Lord, just give me some boldness. You know, there are times it just falls off my radar And that's where I start. And it's not about me reading more books on evangelism or you know looking for my neighbors or a friend or somebody who has a need. It's like, Lord, if you could just give me boldness. Give me boldness. So if you would pray that, that God would give you boldness. The next thing is you just need to get in equip. You just need to get in equip. Equip is a 10-week training course where you will learn the gospel and how to share it, how to read your Bible and how to pray. 10-week training course. After that, as we talked about last week, X is a year long. That comes after you've gone through Equip. The way that you prepare for X is to get into Equip. Like, this is the place to start. And, and then the next thing is just talk about Jesus. For those of you who follow Jesus, just talk about it with people that you know already follow him. Like, if you're married, you should have a conversation about Jesus. Because it just helps you get in this routine and rhythm of talking about him. You know, in your group, be sure that you're talking about Jesus and what he's done in your life and the story that he's writing in your life. Just talk about, that's just easier. That's a little hanging fruit, right? Because to just walk up and talk with someone who you're not sure how they're gonna respond and you're a little insecure about it, that's a little more difficult. But if you can begin to just talk about it with people, and that's gonna really open the doors for you to be able to see life change. Hey, and then just tell your story. That's all you gotta do. You don't always have to remember exactly the right words you don't have to be able to point to the right verses i mean I, half the time i'm up here i'm reading the wrong verses you've noticed that right you don't have to no tell your story listen your story is powerful if god has changed your life your story matters you're hiding it under a bushel if you're not telling your story of what god has done and we share things that we know are impactful now, now, just a little bit about, I, I just, what I want to do is I'm going to, I'm going to walk through kind of what I would say are the four chapter headings in the story of the gospel. I'm going to do it in the context of my story because and, and, I think there's some people here, just like in the last service, you need to believe the gospel today. You need to repent and believe and follow Jesus today. So I was recently in a, I had flown into Hartsville-Jackson and I would grabbed Marta down to North Springs and I took a uh, I was grabbing an Uber, coming back to the house. My wife was out of town and it was on late on a Friday and didn't want to bother anybody. So I'm just coming back on the Uber. And I, I you know, I try to look for opportunities, but I'm not going to force it. You know, if somebody don't want to talk, good. I need some rest. You know, I'm, I'm a little bit probably too much like that, but I began to have a conversation with the driver. Uh, and then he asked me what I do for a living. Now, this is one thing I have up on you, right? i'm gonna i'm gonna get in it a little easier sometimes and sometimes i'm like lord really right now um so i'm like well i'm a pastor and then i don't i I just really i I just like i'm not even gonna wait i've been praying for boldness so i'm like yeah i'm a pastor i said i remember when i was in college and i just was going through a difficult time and i was making some really bad decisions and i just realized that if i kept going down this road it was going to end in destruction for me So at that point in my life, I I began to follow Jesus. And it didn't happen overnight. It wasn't just this massive uh, from darkness to light, but God was just working in my life. And what I realized was there is a God and he is so, so good. And I just began to list out the good things. So I just want you to think about it right now. You got up this morning, man, the air was cool and the sky was blue and there may have been a few clouds in the sky. You got up and you had a great breakfast that the Lord provided for you and maybe you woke up next to someone that you love deeply and you just said, thank you. Man, and, and I just begin to start talking about all the things in life that are good, man. And you need to know that. and You need to remember that there is a God and he is good and he has good things for us. It's why he created the world in the book of Genesis. It's why he's creating a new heaven and a new earth for us to go home to. It's because he is so good. I said, but you can probably tell not everything in the world is good. I understand that. And I said, there's a problem. That problem is sin. That problem is that we have taken things that are not God and we've made them God in our life. And I just began to share with him how I did that and the things that I chased, whether it was a career or uh, you know, being accepted. And, and then as I kept on talking, I'm like, you know, th- there's a problem, it's sin. It says, but, but God didn't leave us there because he's so good. There's hope, there's hope. And that's why I started following Jesus. And Jesus came so he could be with us and rub shoulders with us and experience everything that we experienced. And he's cried tears with people he was there at funerals when they buried their friends. He's raised people from the dead. Jesus is proven to have raised from the dead himself. There is hope. His name is Jesus. And if someone has done something that radical for us, if someone has done something that monumental, man, there's only one response. And that response was to surrender my life to him. So back when I was in my late 20s, I just began to follow Jesus. And man, I have never regretted it. Have any of you never regretted it have some days been hard yeah there have been some hard days there's been some times when I couldn't answer every question and I was confused didn't understand what he was doing yeah man there are that's that's called faith it's called trusting in God is, is good but man he has been so good to me can you believe all that the Lord has done And so I finished up my conversation with him and as we did, we were passing the church and I would love to say that we pulled over in front of Nine North Tire and he got out of his car and got on his knees and accepted the Lord, but that's not what happened. I did. But here's what I did. I was just sowing some seeds. I was just planting some seeds and I was just casting some seeds out. God's in charge of the harvest. We're in charge of throwing some seeds out. And for you today, maybe you need To finally repent and believe the gospel. The story is too big for you to miss out on. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take the few minutes that I have left. I'm just going to pray. I'm going to lead you in a prayer that you would just commit your life to follow him. And you're going to step into the kingdom today. Come on, somebody. You're going to step into the kingdom today. Let's bow our heads and pray.